Hey gang, so it's Chris here. This episode of the show, we came up with a top five idea for the end where it's five films that involve horrible people in some capacity. And we thought it'd be a fun thing to tie in because we're talking about Fantastic Beasts, you know, with J.K. Rowling. Uh, Matt brings up another interesting thing that I didn't think of. But then as we we're recording it and going through it, I realized this is horrible. This is horrible. I think we do the best we can with it. But I wanted to point out, though, there will be some kind of trigger warnings. So when you get to that part of the show, if you want to skip it, I don't blame you. Because we do talk about some really bad people and what they did. So we just wanted to give you that heads up. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves. We love you. And uh, enjoy the show. Scouser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, we are going to discuss, Matt, the latest and possibly lastest entry in the Fantastic Beast series. This time it's The Secrets of Dumbledore. The Harry Potter expansion returns with Eddie Redmayne, who should have lost that best actor statue, Matt, to uh, Michael Keaton. I don't know if I'll ever, ever get past that. Dan Fogler, Jude Law, Mads Mikkelsen steps in for Johnny Depp. Can this series be redeemed uh, from its droll cash grab roots? Then it's on to the Netflix original Choose or Die as a couple of crazy kids find an old video game with a terrifying interactive feature. I do love my 80s homage as Matt, but is that going to be enough? <laughs> There's the really, truly gut-wrenching rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. Matt, I may have stumbled across a massive scandal we'll talk Ooh. about briefly. And then we're going to close things out with our five favorite movie kind of projects that are associated with horrible people in some capacity. So it should really be uplifting. Let's start everything off, though, with a clip from our first film, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Who is gay, by the way? You may not know that. Mm-hmm. Retroactively. But we kind of really in- reinforce that now because J.K. Rowling you know, is very cool about this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> totally. She's totally fine with this stuff. So uh, let's hear a clip. You know, this is, of course, you had it in Paris. I can't say I have much experience with such things, but it looks to me to be a blood trot. That would be correct. And whose blood is contained within? Mine. And Grindelwald's. I'm assuming that's why you can't move against him. Yes. Nor he against me. Can I ask what would possess you to make such a thing? Love. Arrogance. Naivety. Pick your poison. It's really quite beautiful. You have to admit. Were it to even... Think about defying it. It knows, you see. Oh, it knows, Matt. Let me tell you, and it is an uncomfortable experience all around. Matt, the Fantastic B series, this entry, the third out of five. 
I had originally thought there were only supposed to be three, right? Okay. And I got corrected sure. online. It turns out I was right. Initially, there were only going to be three. Okay. And then Rowling said, actually, we're going to make this a five-film series. Really, an, an event, if mm. you will. Sure. And that first one is not good. Yeah. And that second one is even worse. I, I may actually hate it. Like, hate it. <laughs> and now there's the third film in the series. Box office ain't looking too good. Right. And the studio is reevaluating this entire project. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on the Fantastic Beasts of Secrets of Dumbledore? Has the series been saved? Is this a great film? Is it a good film? And is it too little too late? Yeah, I think it's way too little, way too late. So, Chris, this is my experience watching this film. And I'm actually glad, you probably just forgot, but I'm glad you didn't ask me to explain what the plot of this film is in any kind of summary like you usually do. (laughs) Because I don't know if I could tell you. Um, I'm sitting here watching this thing, and... Now, I'll admit, I'm not a very big Harry Potter fan. It was never a fandom that I really got into. I never read the books, although I did watch all the films. But I never really connected with it like a lot of people do. And I can tell you I've seen the other two Fantastic Beasts films, but I can barely remember what happened in any of them. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. while I'm watching this, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, it seems like it's incredibly... It seems like it's very dense in the kind of references and like I should find these things like shocking or talking back to things that happened in the previous films. But I was really struggling as the most casual of fans to kind of reconnect with this thing and put it in any kind of context where I care. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's one of the big issues with the film. And I think I can kind of generally summarize What's happening? So Mickelson's character, previously played by Johnny Depp, who's having some issues. He's actually in court right now testifying mm-hmm. about the... Because he sued Amber Heard for the right. allegations that she said about him. So he has stepped away. Or I don't know if he was just flat out kicked out. I don't know because of all the stuff going on between him and her. But Mads Mickelson joined up. And I got to admit, Matt, I, I originally thought about just skipping this one. Mm-hmm. But when Mads came in, I'm thinking, all right, I'll check it out. Yeah. So this time, Grindelwald is, he's still a criminal, he's on the lam, but he's able to then infiltrate kind of the upper society, governmental mm-hmm. parts of the magic wizarding world, get basically a pardon where they be, no, they say basically, they're, we've done an investigation, we don't find anything to prove that he did these things, so we're, we're absolving him of these allegations. And then he gets brought in as like a candidate to be the head of the wizarding world. Right. To be basically like the president, if yeah. you will. Right. Wizard and that's president. basically our plots, sort of. <laughs> maybe. Can I just can I just stop you? This thing is played like it's so deadly serious, but we're talking about things with terms like the wizarding world. Um mm-hmm. they use mm-hmm. the thing terms like mugwump and uh muggles like it just kind of they when they kind of go back to their child like this like children's story roots and they're trying to make this like high drama out of it. It's just eye rollingly bad. It is really fascinating how they like to have it both ways because this yeah. is very much, I guess, set up and designed for the older set. This is for the kids who grew up watching the movies that are now older, mm-hmm. right? So they're trying to have a little heavier stuff here, but it's not. It just yeah, you're right. It's a weird kind of clash of those two tones. And one of the funniest things about it for me is how it tries to be culturally relevant, right? I watch this thing and I'm thinking, well, there's some interesting ideas here, right? 
there's like a, I don't maybe I'm reading too much into it, Matt, but like I feel like there's thoughts about gun control. I think that the recent elections in our 2024 election mm-hmm. is like a theme in this mm-hmm. as well. There are Nazi wizards, which yeah. I think is kind of a fun idea, yeah. right? There's a I'm gonna just say it. There is a kick-ass scorpion monster yeah. in this thing. That was scary. Exactly, and then of course you have Matt's. But Matt, it's just disjointed as all hell. It's very hard to follow, and the threads never really come together. So, that, like the one for me, one of the big frustrations is they have this French wizard who supposedly heralds from this long line of powerful wizards who is sent to infiltrate Mads's camp. But then Mads maybe turns him on Dumbledore, but he ends up kind of being okay in the end, right? Mm-hmm. But they set him up as this big mysterious character, and it never really pays off. So this is the Yusef Kama character, Matt. And it's just, all right. I mean, there's, they talk about him in hushed tones, and it's all mysterious. And he basically just does like a, a wand earthquake thing, dispatches some guys, and that's it. Right. right, it just it was very just very frustrating and disappointing, and the whole film is like that. It's just it's so disjointed. Nothing really kind of ever comes together, and it's too bad because there are things about it that I found interesting. I like that the romance kind of failed or broken relationship that Dumbledore has with um, Grindelwald, but I, I at the same time I hate it. Like I like the concept of it, but they they clumsily handle it the entire time mm-hmm. and i think that it out of all the films so far the fantastic beast films this is the most successful but it's still a frustrating experience yeah i agree i mean it's i guess i will say maybe in spite of myself i really like mads mickel said it, it just seems like he kind of brings this kind of he knows what kind of film he's in and he's like even if he's gla- glooming and glaring it up it still seems like he's also hamming it up like in his subtle what is he, Norwegian sure. way, yeah. Scandinavian way that he's doing about it. So I don't know. He brought he brought some some much needed um, life to the proceedings. But, you know, Jude Law is like phoning it in. Um, I don't even know what the hell Ezra Miller is even doing in the film at this point. I'm assuming thinking about assaulting people. <laughs> I'm sure just waiting to punch someone in the face. All in all, it's just, it's just... I can't say I hated it. I just found it very difficult to care about anything in this film. I think one of the big frustrations I have, too, is that out of all the films so far, I'm actually kind of curious where it goes next, where the series goes next. All right? I, I think it this film is a little too ambitious for itself, right. and it never really obtains the goals it's going for but out of the, for the first time i'm actually curious to see what the next chapter is right when before i wanted to just snuff this out in the crib from the very beginning i had no interest in this series whatsoever so mm. i think in a way that's a success but like you said too little too late i think this thing's going to get shut down it's just not doing well at all which i guess is fine and it's just it's just a little frustrating for me it's because now you've actually got something that almost piqued my curiosity for an instant <laughs> And then now it's going to be gone. So, uh, you know, when you said that, all I could think of was uh, Candy from uh, from from uh, Django Unchained. You had a flash oh, yeah. of Leo in there for me. You had oh, my curiosity. See, I, just, <laughs> I feel horrible because I just swapped to a new computer and I have not uploaded all the clips, the cuts yet or the clips. Mm. And that is one of them. So, yeah. Sorry, folks, I don't have that one ready to go. In fact, there were very few here today. I mean, I, I made sure to maintain... You son of a bitch! Because well, we need to have that one. That is. It's like our theme song. It's like our second and theme then, song. 
And I keep this one holstered for Matt. You don't know shit, Chris. Just, you know, just in case you ever need it. <laughs> but those are about the only ones I have preloaded. Anyway, um, yeah, where am I? The mess, disjointed. You know what I think one of the big mistakes, too? Or Well, I don't think this is a big mistake, because I'm not a big fan of Eddie Redmayne. I love the fact that he's now just been regulated to just part of an ensemble cast. That now it's just a group of people, and he's no longer the star of this film. Right. But I think one of the big, big mistakes this entire series has made is that they've gone for this grand story. Mm-hmm. If they had focused on him just capturing fantastic beasts from film to film and going on adventures, like Indiana Jones this shit, right? I think that may have been a much more successful and fun enterprise instead of mm-hmm. this grand, sweeping, five-film arc right. of um, stopping you know, Grindelwald, which we know they're going to do, because we are, this is all stuff is all set in the past. Right. Though I am really curious, and I guess we may never find out now, how they justify not being a part of, or at least interfering in World War II. Right. I really cannot wait to see the justification, justification for that. Yeah, for letting that all happen. Yeah, but I guess maybe I won't even have to worry about it. So, I can't, there's one more thing I want to talk about, but I don't know if I just want to close up the conversation on this because it's not so much about the film itself so i'll say matt yeah we'll do that matt i'm gonna give dumbledore here a c which Mm. i think is very high compared to the other films but i think it's a c maybe a c minus but i think i'll give it a c i'll stick with my guns yeah it's uh i'm gonna be generous and give it a c minus i think it's barely holding on to that status depending on how what kind of mood i'm in on any given day i could probably drop it down to a d Mm, fair all right, let's spend a minute and talk about Catherine Waterston. Catherine Waterston was a lead in this series for two films, and then she is now basically regulated to a couple glorified cameos in the film. Hmm. Any idea why that happened, Matt? Have you heard about this at all? No, I didn't really investigate it, so why don't you inform me as to why that is? So her character in the film has been promoted to the head of the, I guess, the American office. Mm -hmm. So she's working on things on her end. What happened was she spoke out about Rowling's turfism, her -hmm. trans-exclusionary radical feminist stuff, where basically uh, Rowling is a big anti-trans person. And she spoke out about it. And then, shockingly, a little later, as Rowling, as a screenwriter and a story developer for this film, put her part is vastly cut and they give her part instead basically to Jessica Williams. So I think there's a fine job Mm -hmm. though. I think her English accent is a little sketchy at times, Mm -hmm. but still, and I enjoyed seeing her in the film and you may know Jessica Williams from the daily show. That's kind of my first exposure to her. Right. But, and and I like to, and I'm very cynical Matt, about this where I see this as her way to cover it is to actually bring in some people of color into this series. So she can't get any flack. For basically taking her wrath out on Catherine Waterston's character. Gotcha. Right? Which I think is just a really cheap-ass move. So, it just bothered me. Really. It really, it's sad. And I I applaud Catherine Waterston for speaking up. I'm glad she did. I wish some of the other characters would. I know Radcliffe has. Emma Watson has. Mm -hmm. So, good for them. But I have not heard much about this Fantastic Beasts crew that has yeah. said anything about Rowling's bigotry. So, and she does, and she gets punished for it. And I'm sure the problem is why she's even in the film is she's probably contracted for all five in some sure. capacity, right? Right. So, still, it's bullshit, and it sucks. So, uh, I'm sorry to have seen that. 
And uh, yeah, you go, Catherine. Of course, you know, Catherine Waterston, another legacy case, which will give me another rant for about 10 <laughs> minutes, but fine. Either way, yeah, I got to keep it a tight show. <laughs> I know. We're on a clock today. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. All right, Matt. That's it. I, I I won't drag you into this. It just really just ticked me off that this all happened. All right. Coming up on physical me. Oh, no. Shoot us an email. Feedback at the first run.com. Oh, you know what it is? I'm rushing. I got my new computer, so I'm all freaked out about it. I need some focus. I need a moment of zen, Matt. Let me second. You son of a bitch. All right. I feel better. I did it. I brought it down. Let's talk about what's coming up in physical media this upcoming Tuesday, April 26th, Matt. Big dumb fun returned. Don't forget. times good time that of course is roland emmerich's just really what is it modern classic that is a moonfall surf those gravity waves baby you gotta admit man that's probably the only thing i really enjoyed about that film was the special (laughs) effects in regards to the gravity waves yeah but moonfall it's getting its physical release you get a steelbook from best buy includes a dolby atmos audio track on that 4k and blu-ray audio commentaries making ofs Though I still will forever hold a grudge against this film for its Elon Musk just uh, boot-licking. It so infuriates me so much. (laughs) But yeah, no. I'd say, you know what? You know, get drunk. You know, consume your edible. Watch Moonfall. I think you'll have a good time. But that's about all I can really... That's the biggest endorsement I can give for you. Lionsgate is releasing Expired featuring Hugo Weaving. Lionsgate, I still hate you. In an uncharted future, two hardened souls meet and confront each other with the things they've done, Matt, and what they have become. Good D Entertainment is releasing Moon Manor. With his Alzheimer's becoming worse, Matt, Jimmy has only a day to live. He decides to die like he lived, with intention, humor, and zest, and show his funeral guests the act of living may actually be the art of dying. Director's cut of the Lunar Ticks infomercial, Jimmy's fictional moon real estate business, and real footage, rare footage, excuse me, of Jimmy as a cruise ship director in the 80s. I like how I read this and I'm supposed to know everything about it and know all these people, though I've never heard about it before. <laughs> Yellow Veil is releasing The Long Walk. An old scavenger living on the fringes of a near-future society exploits a ghostly companion's ability to traverse time, hoping to prevent his mother's suffering from a terminal illness. Matt, new to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing Round Midnight. In the 1950s, Dale Turner, a gifted black saxophonist with a drinking problem, leaves behind New York and has a strange family and relocates to Paris. A brand new 4K digital restoration on that one. A new interview with jazz and cultural critic Gary Giddens. New conversations and more. Criterion is also releasing Yamafi. Uh, in Lagos, Nigeria, Matt, tragedy and fate intervene as two people try to better the lives of their families. 
and Criterion is releasing a UHD of For All Mankind. This is, of course, the classic documentary chronicling the American space program and its rush to put a man on the moon in the 60s. You got a brand new 4K restoration of that, including a Dolby Vision HDR presentation of the film. Arrow is releasing Twisting the Knife, four films by Claude Chabral. For five decades, Chabral navigated the unpredictable waters of cinema, Matt, leaving in his wake more than 50 feature films that remain among the most quietly devastating genre movies ever made. Included in these 4K restoration sets are The Swindle, The Color of Lies, Nightcap, The Flower of Evil. Some get uh, 4K transfers, some don't. I should do 4K transfers for all, excuse me. 80-page collector's booklet uh, and more here in this limited edition. Paramount is releasing Thief of Hearts featuring Stephen Bauer, Barbara Williams, David Caruso, and George Wendt. Dementia, also known as Daughter of Horror from 1955, is being released from the Cohen Media Group. And uh, Severin was releasing Stone with a CD soundtrack. Members of the Gravediggers Motorcycle Club are being knocked off, Matt, one by one. And someone needs to find out why. Kino Lorber is releasing Grand Slam with a new audio commentary, as well as the film Breakout featuring Charles Bronson. And Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema, Volume 4, including Singapore from 1947, Johnny Stoolpigeon from 1949, and The Raging Tide from 1951. Powerhouse Films, as part of the Indicator series, is releasing One for the Road with a brand new 2K restoration. And then there are a bunch of Vinegar Syndrome partner releases. Oh boy, Matt, here we go. Slashdance from 1989 is coming out. Ode to Nothing from 2018. The Long Walk from 2019. The Other French New Wave Volume 1, featuring films from 64 and 66, is coming out. Hellware from 2013. Project Space 13 from 2021. Pathogen from 06. Scream Queen, which I think is that documentary on the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, because that was a big uh, film that was, what, a lot of homoerotic gay undertones about that, mm-hmm. the one that's kind of celebrated in the gay community. Uh, Stop Zamalia from 2021. Sybil from 2019. Backwoods Marcy from 1998. You got commentaries and a whole bunch of stuff. And that French New Wave collection, Matt, includes Cat in the Bag, The Merry World of Leopold Z, and Yule 87. 87- 871, excuse me, with 2K restorations on those. Uh, you can go to Vinegar Syndrome's page for all the details because that's the problem with their partner label ones is they just drop all this stuff on the same day. We'd be talking about that basically for 45 minutes. So, Matt, your UHD picks this week, all stuff coming out on 4K. Arrow is releasing 12 Monkeys. I have not owned this at anything but DVD, mm-hmm. so I may be upgrading to this one finally. Yep. A brand new 4K restoration approved by Terry Gilliam. Uh, audio commentary by Gilliam and more, especially with all the Bruce Willis stuff. You know, I feel like I want to revisit a bunch of his films. Yeah. Not that he's dead. I know people talk about him like he's died, but still. <laughs> uh, my favorite musical, an all-time classic, Matt, Singing in the Rain, is getting its 4K release. Again, a film I've only owned on DVD, so I will be upgrading this one. Okay. I'm very excited to pick this up and Steelbook, available from Best Buy. And then Vinegar Syndrome is releasing Madman, the 80s pseudo slasher classic is getting a uh, 4k release with a limited embossed slip cover if you buy it directly from vinegar syndrome um, and a bunch of special features on that matt for your straight to dvd pick of the week i'm gonna go skinamax style just for you we haven't we've always gone kind of horrible we don't go with the the dirty thriller so i thought we'd go with <laughs> seal of desire oh an attractive psychologist who specializes in couples therapy uses his intuitive skills matt to expose cheating spouses and seduce 
their heartbroken wives. Man, that's such a howl move. But the player becomes a pawn when he meets a woman capable of beating him at his own game. And the lines between love and trust, passion and obsession become blurred. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Well, this is an obvious layup of a pick. Um, If you haven't watched this yet, a few days after it's been released, but dare I say it, maybe the best Batman film of uh, the last 20 years is available on HBO Max for your streaming pleasure. The Batman starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Paul Dano, and an almost unrecognizable Colin Farrell is available uh, right now in I tried to watch it the day it came out, and I guess so many people were trying to watch it, it just buffered and buffered and buffered, and I didn't get to see it. That's funny. I tried doing the same thing, and I had the same problem. Mm. But then I tried to watch it a little more, again, like that night, and yeah. it was okay. okay. And I got to w- tell you, man, watching it on my like new TV, yeah, it's stunning. And I cannot yeah. wait for the actual 4K disc, which I'm sure it'll be even better. I don't have to worry yeah. about the streaming quality. So, but yeah, I I rewatched that opening sequence when Batman first appears like three yeah. times in the last couple of days. <laughs> it is so good. All right, a couple of quick things I want to talk about. First, in the corrections department, we had to let go another intern. Um, remember we talked a little bit about the Spider-Man uh, No Way Home stuff and how they had re- removed the deleted scenes? Right. That could be a Bernstein, Berenstein Bears issue. It appears that may actually not be true. Okay. Uh, there are some press releases and stuff that only mention the 80 minutes, and that may have been an internet rumor uh, from like Reddit that kind of went viral and gotcha. people kind of bought into it. Gotcha. So that's a little uh, embarrassing for some people on this show <laughs> who may be me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I am tired of someone's Spider-Man bias on this show. Um, I'm having to, starting to take a real issue with it. Hey, I like Spidey. I'm a big fan. I so, so have you started your Spider-Man rewatch? You, I saw you tweeted you were going to watch I have. them all. Yeah, where where I are have. you? So um, we made it through the Raimi trilogy. We made it through the Garfield uh, oh, wow. films. In order to set up for the people that are also watching it with me, we I made them watch Civil War so they could sign up to see the introduction of Spidey. So we're getting ready to jump into uh, the official Holland uh, films. Are you going to do a little special first run stuff for that or what? I'd love to get you to do like a little yeah, focus maybe. episode. Yeah, maybe. You I haven't discussed uh, all this. It's a good idea. Sure. I would look at you. Thanks, pal. All right. <laughs> one, more, one more correction. I've been pronouncing Michael uh, Giacchino's name wrong. It's actually oh, okay. Giacchino. Okay. I think it's a Giacchino or Giacchino or whatever, or Maria Shano chair, whatever it is. But which brings me to my, we're going to talk about it quickly, the scandal. Matt, I heard this and I almost fell out of my chair. I'm going to play you now a clip. I don't know why I watch this film as often as I do. I've probably seen it 10 times now. The original Jack Reacher film with Tom Cruise. Okay. I want to play this and I want you to listen carefully. All right, I want you to listen to the score again. I'm going to play it one more time. Oh, I noticed it. All right, now listen to this.
Am I going crazy? Or does that sound very, very similar to that piece from... And that piece from Jack Reacher does repeat itself a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, Joe Kramer did the score for that. Yeah, that does sound amazingly similar. As soon as you played that initial, I knew exactly where that, uh, what you were alluding to there. But what would be interesting is because it's so minimal and it's only a few notes and it's very little in the way of structure or melody, if you could even try and make a copyright claim against that, because something that simple is hard to kind of like, I could have come up with that and I'm not uh, any kind of decent musician, you know? Yeah, man. Cause I remember when I first heard the score, first thing I thought was the Imperial March. Yeah. From star Wars. When I first heard the Batman score, mm-hmm. and I think the Batman score is great. In yeah. fact, I was a Giacchino. I, I didn't really care for anything he had done prior mm-hmm. to that, but I'm really blown away by this. That whole the whole piece for that film is great. But man, you should see me. I'm watching Reacher. I'm like, wait a minute, it's from 2012. <laughs> it's like 20 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and it's right. still it's the same sound. Now, one of the things you got to realize what makes a lot of this music stuff and lawsuits and all the sampling and all this stuff really difficult is that one of the core components of music, and you probably know this better than I do, is that a lot of musician stuff, they take old stuff and kind of just build upon it. Mm-hmm. Or they do, and it's not considered ripping people off. Because I guess there's right. only so many chords and so many progressions and so many things you can do. Right. Right? That uh, you may, you know, end up replicating something without mm-hmm. even realizing it as well. Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, even to be quite honest with you, I am shocked. I mean despite what you may think of this individual as a person, but uh, that whole Marvin Gaye's family, Robin Thicke thing with his blurred lines, I was amazed that it that the, he, they actually won that because I, those, that is a very, I, I can't really put that together um, at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, uh, I'm shocked. So yeah, but usually they don't go that way. I would be surprised if this goes anywhere. Although maybe dude will make noise. Who knows? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll be the ones that break it, Matt. You know what I'll do? Is I'm going to cut that clip out and I'll put it out there too. Put I'm it on Reddit. If anybody put wants. it all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just ways to do it too. I mean, sometimes you just don't even realize it. Like when the Rolling Stones, that Bridges to Babylon album with um, mm-hmm. Anybody Seen My Baby. Yeah. And it turned out that it's it was almost exactly like Katie Lang's Constant Craving. Yeah. And, you know... It, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are not ripping people off for music. Right. It's probably just something he heard before and just didn't place it, right? And they end up giving her a writing credit on the song. I think Mark Twain said, I think it's Mark Twain, said, originality is the fine art of remembering what you hear, but forgetting where you heard it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway. All right, Matt, we just broke a massive scandal. We'll see if uh, anything happens with it. It's huge. Or you could say interesting. Um, no, I got that one too. All right, let's go ahead and keep rolling, man. Let's spend a few minutes and uh, talk about the latest Netflix original. Netflix hemorrhaging viewers, man, mm-hmm, 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 not mm-hmm. doing well, and they may introduce a plan that includes ads. Right, things are going so poor. They lost two hundred thousand subscribers, and they expect to lose two million in the next quarter. Yeah. So, um, will choose or die save them? No, it's not good. It's time. Oh, shit. It's time. Ooh, wait. I think hurry up. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, no. hey. Oh, there's something here. Uh... Wait, wait, hold on. That's fine. 
what that is. What, what, what is that? It's not like anything I've ever seen before. Like he's got this weird gap. If it's coding language, there should be a cursor, right? Some kind of command prompt? Yeah, there should, but there's nothing. There's nothing. Level three. You are with the Moyle Squire. A squire? <laughs> Have you been talking to this thing? Prove yourself worthy of the prize. Isaac looks. How is it doing that? What I love about that, they never really explain how how it's doing that either. It's it's a cursed video game, Matt. There is a cursed video game. Eddie Mar Marzen. How they got Eddie Marzen, I'll never know. I guess it's a British film, though. So I guess maybe that's probably... Maybe he knows the guy. Okay. I'm not sure. But in our new segment, we watch it so you don't have to. Matt and I are going to discuss Choose or Die, or what I think maybe is the better original title, Cursor. Mm. And there is a... Uh, so Eddie Marzen, he's a big guy. He's, he's, a big guy. he's obsessed with the 80s, just like, you know, Uncle Chris here. And he loves all this stuff. And he ha- finds this video game. He boots it up. And it's a kind of choose-your-own-adventure type of horror thing where he has to choose, you know? Do you, his, son and, his son and his wife are arguing, so he has to choose. Cut out his tongue or cut off her ears. And if he doesn't choose, then he's going to die. And he makes a choice. And then we fast forward or we move three months later, whatever the case may be. And this young woman, she's living with her mom who's has got a drug problem. She's struggling to get by. And she's got this buddy here played by Asa Butterfield. Our star, Iola Evans. And she comes across the game, boots it up, and then somehow, I guess, ports it to her phone mm-hmm. for, you know, ease of use. And has to then play the game. Choose these horrible things or she will die. And all the fun, crazy zaniness that happens in between, Matt. What are your thoughts on Choose or Die? Great premise. Poor follow-through. What? What are your thoughts? Because I feel that's exactly where I'm, I'm at with this thing. Um, I don't even have a question for you. What, what, what do you think? So, so uh, I will say this. I, I don't remember what the exact line was, but I think I think it's in the very beginning when Eddie Marr, his son, says, or maybe his wife, says something to the lines of F the 80s. And he gets all indignant and he's like, F the 80s! And all I could think of was you. Like, I could feel like that would be you as an old man. I wrote it down. It's the one hour, 10 minute marker or something like that, because I want to pull it as a clip for later on the show. <laughs> In fact, I was going to use it as stinger, but I forgot. And I actually came up with a funner stinger anyway. But okay. yeah, either way, that is me. That's true. That's exactly how I feel. I yeah, feel exactly. So you know what this, this film is? This is a segment from VHS, one of the later like micro budget version, like, uh, versions of this, stretched to 90 minutes. And I think you can glean everything you need to know from that statement it's it's yep. uh got its moments but it's not great yep so that's exactly what i wrote black mirror episode question mark some kind of anthology show at best vhs 89 question mark is what my <laughs> note is and what's funny i found a channel on youtube man and i don't want to share it on the show because i don't want to blow it up because i want to keep watching it <laughs> but they've <laughs> uploaded like all these classic like amicus 80s anthology films oh, okay. that i've been watching them all yeah, I love those things so damn much. But uh, yeah, that's exactly what this is. This is like a 45-minute episode of an anthology show expanded to 80-plus minutes. And the problem is, too, like you said, there's some truly just dreadful, I think, line deliveries in this thing. 
And I don't know if it's the performances or if it's most, like, maybe it's a tepid script. Maybe it's both. Mm-hmm. I think we have some weak, barely interesting kills. Like the whole thing in the pool house or whatever it is, yeah. is just dreadful. Right? And it's it saddens me to see my childhood mined for such forgettable, disposable content. Mm. And don't even get to me when they get to the author or whatever it is of the game. That whole segment is like college level production stuff, like really C level movie making. And it's horrible. It's like it really captures the film. Tales from the Dark Side is like what that was. That was the the denouement of Tales of the Dark Side episode, at least in production values, I would say. Absolutely. You get Robert England does some voice work in Mm -hmm. this, which I appreciated him popping up. But F the 80s is more like F the movie, man. Oh, fuck you! Fuck the lot of you! Fuck you all! <laughs> That's kind of... I saved that one, too. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, and I think one of the more aggravating experiences for me, Matt, too, watching this thing is... Oh, boy, they set up a sequel to this thing at the end. And one of the things, too, that I found really special is at the end of the movie, I think, tries to recategorize the entire thing as a dark anti-hero superhero film. Right. Because she's going to use... I don't care. I'm going to tell you. She's going to use the video game to take out bad people. She's going to curse bad people going forward now. Right? And she does that with her mom's drug dealer slash boyfriend character. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I think was... That was actually a pretty effective freak gross thing. But that whole arc, though, with a drug dealer and her mom is like, woof, bad. Like his line deliveries and all that stuff too. That is just some dreadful, dreadful stuff. I, I like that there was an Iowa boombox. I had a nice home th- home speaker system with the ta- du- double tape deck and the CD yeah. player when I was a kid in my room. Uh, but that's like the the best thing, and most fun I had with it. I don't know. Not not good. Not good. Yeah, it's not good at all. It's it's instantly forgettable. I think even trying to set up the fact that there could be a sequel is delusion at its best. Yeah, no, not great, folks. I'm I'm giving choose or die, or as I like to say, cursor, a uh, D plus. Chris, you know what? I think we need to tang up the show because we just keep giving the same grades. I'm going to give it a D plus as well. That scene where Butterfield meets his end with the rewind, fast forward, yeah. and the videotape coming out of his. <laughs> I pride myself on not turning things off no matter how bad they are. Yeah. But that whole thing and the effect as well that was yeah. used with it was just bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's not good. Not good. Very no. bad. This is where you bring in another clip if you have. I know. I don't have enough though. Yeah. I don't I don't want to replay the F1 either because it's just, it's too much. I don't, I don't like too much vulgarity, man. I'm not that kind of guy. Gotcha. I'm not a profane person. Sure. So, what are your thoughts on Choose or Die currently streaming on Netflix while Netflix lasts? She's an email <laughs> at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's do it, baby. Let's talk about... Let's really just end things on a low note. You know, let's, Better Call Saul's back. I haven't watched it yet. Have you watched that episode yet or no? I have, I have not, no. I'm going to put together a list, I think. I'm actually going to do it because I say it. But I'm going to put together a list of all the stuff I want to watch. Yeah. And and I still need to kick kickstart my you know great on watch series again because I've been wanting to watch that Lady Snowbird set that I got for a while now. Yeah. I'm going to do what I did last week. I watched Jack Reacher again. Right. What am I doing? Yeah. It's not even a good movie. Yeah, I I hear you. I mean, I wanted to I want to. 
go through my DVDs and see which ones I'm going to keep, upgrade, or ditch, you know? I've only watched one episode of Moon Knight, which was a show that I was all excited about. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in the theaters twice next week. There's so much, oh, so much going on. Let's talk about five films <laughs> that involve, in some capacity, just absolutely dreadful people. Horrible. I'm very disappointed in you. You steal the secret of life and death, and here you are, trysting with the bubble-headed co-ed. You're not even a second-rate scientist. Oh, Mr. West, I'm actually glad to see you. It saves me the trouble of having to send for you. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. Why an intelligent young man like yourself should make such a foolish, fatal mistake of coming here to challenge me? Oh, I have a plan. So do I. So a little inside baseball here, folks, is that we actually play the clips as we record. We don't pop them in later on. And one of the greatest joys I have is watching Matt on my screen realize what movie clip is playing and identifying Mm -hmm. the movie. It always makes me happy. So there you go. Of course, that is from Reanimator. This whole segment, though, is based on the fact that J.K. Rowling, again, is a transphobe and I hate Mm. her. So that's what prompted the idea for this. I thought it was uh, Ezra Miller being a crazy person was what the, where you're going with this. So, oh, I didn't two. even think of that. Yeah, it's yeah. a twofer. There yeah, you go. it is a twofer. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so we're going to talk about then five films associated with horrible people. Of course, the horrible people in Reanimator, the clip you just heard from, classic horror film, of course, is H.P. Lovecraft, mm. who was an unrepentant racist. Like, yeah. real bad. Real bad. Even considered racist by 1920 standards, which is really <laughs> saying something, folks. Exactly. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, Matt, go ahead and start everything off. What is your fifth favorite film involving just horrible people in some capacity? All right. So this my, my list might be controversial, Chris. This might upset him. But uh, I went with some some films that are absolutely great. Um, and my number five, I tried to make this a little different, is The Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. And you want to know why I picked Seven Samurai? Kira Kurosawa, while he made excellent films and absolute classics and absolute revolutionary films, he was known to be a bit of a bastard to his um, his uh, castmates. And he had this habit of finding one of his actors um, that was on the film and doing everything in his power to belittle and berate and break this person down because he felt... That it would get motivate the rest of the of his actors to perform really well to avoid such behavior, which I think is a bit of a sane, insane sociopathic tendency um, from an excellent director. And in Seven Samurai, apparently um, he uh, did this throughout the entire production for to uh, Yo- Yoshio Inaba, who played a uh, Gorobi um, in that film. So I just wanted to bring out an absolute auteur of films who we love that shows that maybe there's something to be said for crazy meets up with artistic right wow i had no idea about that actually Mm -hmm. nuts right not cool bro not cool (laughs) 
<laughs> I think you're gonna have to say that a lot on this list, Chris. I'm, I'm sorry yeah. in advance. Well, I don't even want to say that because a lot of stuff on my list is absolutely just horrible, horrible things. Mm. So my number five then is Woody Allen's Annie Hall. Mm. Just a timeless romantic comedy, a brilliant film with classic performances, Diane Keaton and Woody Allen, just one of the funniest meta films. It's just, it's brilliant. It's hilarious. And Woody Allen is a monster. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fact that people still work with him to this day kind of blows my mind. But um, Andy Hall is a treasure. I mean, it's a delight. But you can't watch. I can't. It's like my Michael Jackson's. I have skipped Michael Jackson on my, I was going to say my iPod, which I do actually still use. But my mm-hmm. phone, every time it comes up and shuffle. I don't know. You know, I, I just can't. And same thing, I have not watched a Woody Allen movie since, I think, Blue Jasmine, Mm. I think was the last one I watched for the show years ago. And I have not revisited anything since. Yeah, I haven't watched any Woody Allen films in a really long time. Um, Yeah, it's been at least 10 years. Um, And I have no intention of revisiting them. Although I will say, to the Michael Jackson piece, if Billie Jean comes on, I still listen to it because that is a great baseline. That is a really fun baseline. PYT, it's my uh, Michael that's Jackson song. I think that's yeah. absolutely an incredible song. It is a great song. All right, so my number four then is, um, I think, a one of my favorite werewolf movies of all time and a marvel of practical effects. It is John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. I adore that film, and John Landis is a borderline murderer um, for his work on Mm -hmm. the Twilight Zone, the movie where he forced um, two child actors and including another actor to work in unsafe conditions um, way past um, the allotted time that would be allowed in the States for a child actor to work. And there was an accident um, during the filming of that uh, movie that killed, I think uh, two or three people um, in that uh, in filming. And He's never apologized for it. Um, he basically feels that he didn't really do anything wrong. Um, if you really kind of want to get a just a glimpse, a taste of what an asshole John Landis is, watch the films that made us on Netflix, and they and watch his um, episode on coming to America. That guy is ridiculously tone deaf and is just an awful person to be around. Yeah, no, just horrible. And his son's a real pos as well. Mm-hmm. And he's got some issues with um, assaulting women, yeah. too. Max Landis, just mm-hmm. a real garbage human being. So, <sighs> great. This is such a great idea, Matt. My number four is <laughs> Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole. A wonderful, fantastic film, uh, a critique on celebrity and media and greed and uh, featuring Kirk Douglas. He plays a reporter who's kind of... Just it's not getting it done, Matt. He's not his career is faltering, and he comes across this mining, or not mining, but this accident where this guy gets trapped in this well, this hole, and he he bribes the sheriff, and they say, "Well, it's going to take you a couple days for us to drill you out." And he goes, "Well, he sees the potential for the story, Matt." So he says, "Well, why don't we instead of going straight at it, why don't we drill in from the top? Because that's going to take a couple like a week, so he'll be trapped there longer, and I'll give you more time for my story and all this. Just a brilliant film." But Kirk Douglas is a rapist. There is a story, basically, that when Natalie Wood was still young in her teens, she went up to a party or his house to kind of talk to him about advice and stuff, and he raped her. And it came out after Kirk Douglas died that it was in a book written by Natalie's sister. 
And you could say, well, he said, she said, because they're both since passed. Man, if Natalie Wood, you want to talk about having just a horrible, cursed life. My God. But why I believe it is because when Michael Douglas was asked about it, he said he feels bad for all parties involved, mm. basically. Wow. That's hardly a denial. That's not a denial so, at all. Yeah. So anyway, that's my number four, Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole. Great film featuring a real horrible, just a, a bad guy, Kirk Douglas. All right. So my number three then is uh, a twofer. It's my list and I'm cheating. Um, and uh, two films that I adore. Uh, one, uh, David Fincher's breakout film, Seven, and mm-hmm. um, a glorious supl- surprise from Edgar Wright, which is Baby Driver. Now, Baby Driver, there's so many awful people in that film that you could probably just make a whole list yeah. with just that. Uh, but of course, I'm talking about Kevin Spacey, a man who at one time was considered one of our great living actors, won Oscars and accolades, and then it turned out he was a sexual predator. Um, he tried to deflect, I believe, during the Me Too movement by um, officially coming out um, as a way to kind of try and shift focus away from his unacceptable behavior. But he's kind of been relegated off to the side. And I honestly hope I don't see him work again. I never really loved Kevin Spacey. I never thought he was great. Um, But he is in at least I will say now three films that I really like. um, If you throw in the usual suspects as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good pick, man. In fact, Spacey may show up on my list in a little bit. Okay. Uh, my number three, then, is one of the greatest horror films of the uh, 1970s, and that is Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski. Okay. Polanski had a party, uh, drugging a 14-year-old girl. Um, excuse me, she was 13. He, she yeah. drug, he, he drugged and then raped her. Um, he, then he fled the country. And to... Hollywood in the in the academies and all this just eternal shame. Um, basically, a bunch of directors and actors and stuff signed a petition to allow him to come back to receive like a lifetime achievement award, uh, and it is just shameful and it's disgusting and horrible. So that's my number three. Now I feel like now I just want to burn through this list. The more we talk about it, the more <laughs> upsetting I'm, the more upset I'm getting. So that's yeah. My three. I mean, Roman Polanski is such a layup. I didn't put him on my list. Um, I, like, refuse to watch any of his films. Like, even when we yep. watched Chinatown that was, for our neo-noir list, that was yeah. that was rough because I knew of his involvement with that. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, when Chris said that one of the best horror films of the 1970s, I thought he was going to go with this one. And I'm talking about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, he was mm-hmm. notorious for having a level of control that was borderline insane on his films. He forced Shelley Duvall to take a redo a single scene 127 times. And he, re- he had a 70-year-old Scatman Carruthers redo a single scene 148 times, which is a world record for a single scene being reshot. Shelley Duvall was so stressed out that her hair was falling out and Stanley Kubrick did not care. Now the end result is the shining, but was it worth what uh, he put his his, uh, actors through to produce what he put on screen? I don't know. Um, But he is a bit of a bastard to work for, I would say. Yes. And I'm glad he's dead. No, uh, that's a (laughs) Jack Nicholson, Batman tie in. So, The, yeah, I mean, you're telling me they couldn't get maybe a good pull out of takes one through 10 
Mm-hmm. Right. I know that was his whole thing, and there's some people who kind of hand wave it off and say, well, it's acting. You really want to realism. She needed to be exhausted. She needed to be at her wit's end. Oh, fuck you. Come on. That's just way too much. Absolutely. So then my number two, Matt, is my Kevin Spacey entry, and that is... Um, one of my favorite films, you know, it hit my list on my top 50. I watched it again last week. Uh, you know what it is, man? I just play it in the background while I'm mm-hmm. working. It's typically what it is. Yeah. And that is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, oh. where he plays the office manager. Lots of great performances. Thankfully, his performance is not the standout in that film. Um, but still, um, I love that movie. And also written by David Mamet, who is, I guess, politically is a piece of shit. So, uh, yeah, man. But that's my two, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's my my Kevin Spacey entry. <laughs> All right. So uh, my number one then is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Um, Chris and I both have f- multiple films that we love of this particular director. And I'm, I'm, of course, talking about Alfred Hitchcock, who notoriously tormented all of his stars. Um, now, the most famous is Tiffy Hedren, um, who he was obsessed with. Uh, he came on to her, made many sexual advances against her, made her career, and then broke it when she rejected his advances. Um, if you watch The Birds, those scratches and that terror are real because he is really throwing uh, live birds at her face. Um, and he just broke her down. But I also learned as I was studying this that... Um, Joan Fontaine on Rebecca had severe anxiety and uh, Hitch made it worse by whispering that all of the crew were plotting against her and everyone hated her. And he was the only one that could protect her um, to kind of keep her under his thumb and doing what he wanted to do. And if you go through this um, on Dial In For Murder, the uh, the scene um, with, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Grace Kelly. Uh, the rape sexual assault scene, he filmed that over and over and over again over a five-day period by where the time it was over, she was completely covered and bruised and broken and exhausted. So, yeah, I think if you look into all of his movies, you will see that he was a psychopath to his uh, female stars. And tellingly, his male stars said he was a pleasure to work with, which is um, really upsetting. Yeah. That's the one I have the hardest time with, mm. you know, it's because I love his films so much and I watch them so often. It, I, there, I was even in a denial when we did the uh, documentary, or we didn't do a documentary, but the film about his... The girl? Obsession. Yeah, the girl. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I really struggled with that one too. It just, you know, you, yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. God, I hate people. My number one then, Matt, is... One of the more frustrating films for me because I still think it's the greatest film of the 21st century. Uh, and that is Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, of course, mm-hmm. produced by Miramax. Right. Of course, we have to uh, make a Weinstein nomination, one of the greatest monsters in the history of Hollywood. He destroyed many people's careers, destroyed their lives because of his what well, he was a sexual predator and he was vindictive and just he's just a horrible horrible person who should rot in hell for the rest of his life and may you know maybe just for eternity let's not even let him die <laughs> and i just yeah but you think about all the films that miramax put out that's the kind of stuff too like quentin tarantino didn't know mm-hmm. kevin smith didn't know right and they didn't know any of this stuff i find that 
kind of hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so basically that's my one is anything that Miramax put out within that window with Weinstein. And of course the Weinstein company after that. Yeah. Just horrible, horrible stuff. God, yeah, that is awful. Cause they have so many good movies too. This is why you just shouldn't look into the personal lives of anyone. Everything should be held at arm's length. So you can at least enjoy what gets put out. Right. Cause yeah, we can do this for absolutely. everything. Books, music, albums, yep. you know, I mean, paintings, yep. uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, one that didn't make my list, Matt, I don't want to use the term honorable mention, <laughs> uh, was uh, Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned a couple of my other ones, and that was it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had Mel Gibson as well. James Cameron um, for, while not the abyss i don't think is a great film but i absolutely love aliens and the terminator but like the fact that he almost drowned ed harris because he refused to let him get out of the water is pretty bad yeah. um you know in torturing uh elizabeth master antonio almost giving her hypothermia because he let refused to let her get out of the water it's a bit extreme james jim it's a little extreme and let's not forget the greatest james bond of all time sean connery who oh. allegedly beat his wife right why did we bring this up, Chris? Now I feel bad. It's <laughs> such a horrible idea. I'm gonna. Re- it's horrible. Ah, oh, all right. Let's just next. Let's just move on. Now, next week, Matt. Next week, let's talk about it. It's gonna be a big, big week. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you gonna be able to do your Eggersathon? I want to try and squeeze in those Eggers films in the next couple of days. I'm going Monday night to see The Northman in Dolby, baby. Mm, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, we can. I can certainly do that over the next few days, but I am looking forward to The Northman. I'm very, very excited. I'm almost as excited for The Northman as I am for our Cage-a-thon to start with looking forward to the unbearable weight of massive talent as well. And I think we've gone back and forth. You want it to be Cage-fest or Cage-a-thon? I think Cage-fest actually rolls a little better. Yeah, I think Cage-fest is the right way to because it almost sounds like Cage-fight. Yeah, I like that. All right, yeah. I'll update the calendar. Not that it matters. <laughs> but Cage Fest begins with the unbearable weight of massive talent, as Matt said. Uh, final segments to TBD. Lord knows we're going to need something lighter after this week. Christ, Chris, what were you thinking? Uh, in the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, did I forget one? Facebook? Did I say that? I don't care. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. I hate Facebook. I hate it so much. Uh Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And that's it. That's it. Well, it was fun. You know, outside of the last segment being absolutely horrible, I think it was a pretty solid show. I'd be plus, folks, on this episode. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start grading the episodes. I'm going to go A- minus on this episode, B- plus because of the last segment because it's a Debbie Downer. But that's it, Matt. So let's go ahead and uh, close things up. Take care of yourself. We'll see you next week. Love you. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. (laughs) You think I'm fucking with you? I am not fucking with you.